Uh, we're going to continue again, and today we open up again in that first letter of John. Uh, who can remember last week? Last week we had three main theological issues that he brought out. What was the first one? God is? God is love. God is love. It's always amazing to me if you ask that love comes out first. Have you experienced his love this week? Have you done what we said? If you go around and see people, see them through the love of God. That will change your sight for life. So God is love. We saw that last week, uh, that John, out of this letter, is going to talk to us about the love of God. What is God also? He is light. God is light. And you remember when he distinctively said that in him there is no darkness at all. And we said that light is not the absence of darkness, but darkness is the absence of light. And that if Christ, who is the light, is not in your lives, then there is darkness in your life. And what was the other one? If, if it's life, uh, light, then it brings life. God is life. Have you experienced God's life this week in your lives? Well, I can already tell you the testimonies that we have is due to the life of Christ in us, isn't it? And I just want to say, as I thank, uh, th- thought about the table there, you know, we are sending missionaries all over the world. I think the world's been missionarized, if there's a word like that. We've gone to all the ends of the world now, mission, doing missionary trips to people. I reckon the time starts that worlds like Australia needs to do missionary work in its own country. It's no good for us as a church to start sending missionaries out to other places in the world. We need to send them into our own suburbs. This is a missionary field around us. Yes, absolutely. This city is a missionary field. So instead of, of, of spending millions of dollars trying to send people to Africa, friends, Africa is in trouble, but I'll tell you, Australia is in, in worse trouble. Uh, the Western world is in trouble. There's a constant attack against the Western society. It's coming from everywhere. And it's going to make it more difficult. Listen, I've been preaching this for so long. It's going to make it more difficult to preach the Word of God. They are changing the Word of God as well. And it's going to make it more difficult. That is why we have to come here on a Sunday and open up the Word and get back to the Word. I'm praying. I'm honestly praying. Say, Lord, where are the preachers of the Word of God these days? Because we see the result now of what's happened 10, 15 years ago of people turning away from the Word. We see now the result of the Word being watered down. What's it going to be in 10 years' time? Do you understand how important it is for you who sits here who can hear my voice today? Do you understand how important it is for you to grow in the Word? You will become that light that Jesus was talking about. You remember on the Sermon on the Mount? He said that you are the light to the world. We, we know that God is light. We heard that last week. We know that God is love. When we know that God is life. Friend, this is how serious it's becoming now. It's you. In a few years' time, anything can happen to me. I'm, I'm not the only one who preaches the Word of God. I know that. And praise God there are other preachers. 
But what if the preachers are wiped out? It's you. It comes back to your shoulders to know the Word of God. And this is the best way of doing it. It's not just to read it, but to make the Word live inside of you. And the only way that you can do this, there's no easy way. I mean, we're in technology. We've got so many apps. We've got everything to help people to live happier. We've got technology to make things easier for us. Yet, we now have the saddest people on the face on the planet of the earth. Saddest people. Technology is not helping. We've got the highest suicide number ever in all of these things where they want to connect people with technology. We have to understand these things. There is no technology in the world that's going to take this from there into here and into there. None. It comes by hard work. It comes by opening it up and start reading it. And friends, before I even start preaching, I want to repeat it so many times that you go, oh man, he's saying it again. Yes. Because in a few years' time, this might be gone. They might take the preachers away. Then you are that light. Now listen to this. Your own family, like my sister said, becomes your missionary field. Because your grandchildren, who your children don't follow Christ, and your grandchildren and their children, you become the light for them. This is how serious it is. It is not just to satisfy yourself and to come in church and sit down and say, Wow, man, I'm, I am so blessed today. Man, we sang beautiful songs. And that preacher, man, he was worth his salt today. He preached it, man. Oh, and we wanted to shout, Preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. And I feel so good. It's more than that now. There's a responsibility upon your shoulders. It amazes me, friends, that we are living in a society now where even church attendance is falling by the wayside. Oh, we will go to church when we feel like it. Or when, when there's an open door for us to go. It's coming more difficult. We have to understand this. It is no longer, and it was never, the church's responsibility to teach your children about God. It was forever your responsibility. And to their grandchildren and their grandchildren. This is how serious it is. What am I doing here every Sunday? You know, I take time, I prepare the Word of God. Is it because I feel good about it? Yes, I feel great about preaching the Word. I love preaching and teaching the Word of God. But the seriousness of my heart, my prayer is, Lord, if by one sermon I preach, it touches somebody's heart and put a fire under them to start reading the Word and start sharing the Word of God. Yes, I just thought about that when I did the table this morning. Now we're going to look at John writing with the same passion. I can feel the passion coming out of the pages as I read it, as I open up the Word of God. And it's ever been like that since I gave my heart to the Lord. It's a passionate book. Every one of those writers back in the day was seeing the problems way ahead of them, what we are living in now. And they were writing it with passion and with the anointing of the Lord. So we want to look today at the Word of Life revealed as 
explained to us by John from 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 to 4. And this is part two of our test of reality in the Christian's life. You are going to be tested in the next few months. So let's look at 1 John chapter 1. The letter of John. Chapter 1 verse 1. John writes to them, he says, <clears throat> That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. There's another title for Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. Do yourself a favor once and do a study on the names of Jesus Christ in the New Testament and Old Testament. And He's the Son of Man. Who remembers what the Son of Man is? It is the connection between heaven and earth. And He uses the title Son of Man the most. Jesus Himself, when He says to people, He didn't go around and say, I'm the CEO of the company, I'm the director of the company. No, no. He didn't say, I'm God. He didn't go around and say, I'm the son of, a son of God, although he was, and he used it. Most of every other title he chose for himself is the Son of Man. The connection between heaven and earth. But here we find another one for him. He says, the word of life. Verse 2, the life was manifested, and we have seen and be witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Have you seen how many times he repeats himself? How many times in that passage he says, we've seen him, we've heard him, we've touched him? So many times. Have you also noticed that the person he's talking about, he qualifies who it is in verse 3? He says, fellowship with the Father and, declare to, uh, with, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Have you seen that? Have you seen that he says Jesus Christ, Jesus in front of Christ, and he talks about him on the earth? Remember what I said once to you, if you find Christ before the word Jesus, he talks about Christ in heaven, after the resurrection, and after the ascension. But when he talks about Jesus Christ, he talks about Jesus before he was crucified. So this is what he says about. We have experienced Jesus Christ. We find the Trinity in that passage. The Trinity is, the, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And let me say to you, it's not God manifested in three persons. That's not right. Each one of them is God in its own right, but they are one. You have to understand that, friend. And here John gives that to us. So we are going to look at three things today. It is critically important for you and for me to, to believe in that. So that in 10 years time, people will challenge that with you. But if you believe in what you're going to hear today, friends, then you can actually have a message to them. 
to your children and to your grandchildren. First of all, we're going to see that this word of life, Jesus Christ, He was revealed to us. There's a lot of people who don't believe that. The history books say that there was a Jew who hang on a cross. Our Bible says it was Jesus Christ our Lord. We see in this passage that John writes to us, it's revealed to us. We're going to see that he was experienced, and then we're going to see that he was shared. So he's revealed, he himself experienced him, and then he shares him. Now you say, why do you break it down in those three things? That is what happened to you if you come to the cross of Christ. Yes? First of all, He is revealed to you. How? Remember what we say, there's three ways that God reveals Himself. One is general revelation. You remember that? We said that's through nature. It shows God's power. It shows that God is an a, a, a intelligent being who put everything together. We also said that He reveals Him through special revelation, the Word of God. And then we say, thirdly, is personal relationship. That's when you hear the Word of God, the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you act upon it. That's it. That's it there. He's revealed to you. You've got a choice, if He's revealed to you, to turn your back on Him and walk away, or to embrace Him. What did John do? He embraced Him. That's why he can testify about it. That should be the, 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 the foundation of your testimony. When you come up here and you testify, then you tell us where you were before Christ, then He was revealed to you, and now what do you do out of that same testimony? Then you start to share Him to others. That's why it's so important and critical. Only those three things. So first of all, His life was revealed to us. John says there in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and your hands have handled concerning the word of life. John is saying this is not hearsay. It is not tradition. This is not guesswork, friends. No, no, no. He had the fullest certainty within all of his being and with the passion he writes it down for us that all that he writes and preaches is true. It's not, he didn't hear this from somebody else. You remember when, when, Paul, when Job said at the end of the letters of Job, he said, I've heard about you, but now mine eyes have seen you. It is so wonderful. The Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, you can't have the one without the other. And this is what he's saying. He didn't guess about these things. It is a certain fact for him. And that is what he writes and that is what he preached. You see, John audibly heard him. He physically seen him. He intentively studied him. That means he's looked upon him. Some people just looked upon the Word of God because this is God's Word with us. It's God's mind with us. They think it's going to happen like this. Come on. Come on. No, no, friends, what it is, you open up the Scriptures and you study the Scriptures intentively. When He walked with Jesus, it wasn't just sitting and staring at Jesus. You're starting to feel uncomfortable now, brother? (laughs) 
I was going to say that competition, isn't it? That staring competition. He didn't do that. How? How? If, if he says he studied him, that means he looked upon him. That means every single action that Jesus Christ did, he looked at and he, and he wanted to find out why did Jesus do that? Why did he react in such a way? Why did he do that? Why did he study him? So that he himself can live like Jesus lived. Not copycatting. Not copycatting. It's amazing, you know, uh, when, when in South Africa we, you know, when I studied to become a pastor, there's, there's one pastor who would always, when he comes around, he will do this when he gets really excited in singing. You know, he, he would go like this. Yeah, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And it's great. Whenever I saw him do that, I get so excited about it, man. I want to lift my hands. But it's amazing that you see some of the students who came from that pastor, which I'm one of as well, amazing that you see when we go to a conference that he will go on stage doing that and what do they do? They do the same. That's copycatting. That's not what Jesus meant. That's not what John's doing. When he studied him, when Jesus was in a difficult situation of his life, I just, I just feel I've, I've shaked this hand a little bit too. <laughs> when, I'll use this hand. When he came into a very difficult situation of his life, friends, he reacted in a way that John can look upon that and say, ah, that's how Jesus reacted. And, and you know, when it was difficult, how to share love in a difficult time? There's, there's a question for you. We all go through difficult times, don't we? we there's always things happening to us that we don't like. How do you keep on sharing love when that happens? This is what he means when he, he studied him, he looked upon him, and he tangently touched him. His hands has handled him. You, you know, he helped him along or, or so on. And to him that was important. So important to John that he wrote it down for us. How privileged are we to sit here to read about this? We've got the word. We've got John saying, man, I have seen this. I've touched all of these things, and I love this. You remember Job's cry when we went through the study of Job? Job was in a very difficult situation. And at one stage, there in chapter 9, he cried out the following. He said, Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. That means on God and on me. He, Job said the problem for him was in his life. There's nobody who can listen to me and take that message to God. Do you sometimes feel like that? I certainly feel felt like that a few times in my life. But John is saying today, what is he saying? He says, Job, I found him. His name is Jesus. Can you see? And again, if I come back to what we said around the table, we are living in, in the time that God preoccupied for us. He predestined for you and for me to live today. Can you imagine if you lived in the days of Job and you were in a difficult time and you didn't have John writing you the letter to say, we have found Him. We found the Messiah. We found the Son of God. We found the Son of Man. Wait a minute. We found the Word of Life. We are so privileged. But sometimes I find if things come too easy to people, they neglect it. 
You, some people need to have it the hard way and they will learn by that. He says, we found him. Now, when he says from the beginning, we, we, we get this going back to John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, this is the same John writing the gospel. He says, was the word. In the beginning, was the word. The word there, the Greek word for word there is logos. It means the written word. It means the written word. But it's also, the word there shows towards Jesus Christ himself. You say, where's the proof of that? John gives the proof himself. He calls him the word of life. It's the name for Jesus. Now he says, in the beginning was the word, listen, and the word was with God, and the word was not a God, like the Jehovah Witnesses say. No, no, the word was God. That there, my friend, is your foundation. That there. If you don't know this verse, learn it off by heart. Underline it in your Bible. Learn it until you know it just like that. Because this is a critical verse in the Bible. In the beginning, before, listen to me. In the beginning doesn't mean when the earth started. It means eternity back. Who can touch that? Nobody. From before this world and this whole universe was even called into existence by God, was the word. Did you also know that this world was called into existence by the word? Whose word was that? By Jesus. He called it into existence. Colossians will tell you all about that. We did a study in Colossians. Now he says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's part of the Trinity of God. The most famous verse for me as well, if you've got to jump over to verse 14, because it's good to know that. But look at what 13 says. One, uh, John 1, 14, he says, And the Word became what? Flesh. Do you, do you know what that is? Just touch your hands. Just do this. Rub your hand like that. That's flesh. He became flesh. He became human being. He became like us. And then he says, and dwelled amongst us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That is our gospel. He came to save us. There was a farmer who was walking on his farm. This is a testimony that he wrote out. And he had workers who started plowing the lands. And as he's walking and expecting the lands, <clears throat> he walked. He said to the farthest end of where they were going to plow. So his tractors was already plowing the land. You know what plowing is? They they dig up the ground so that he can plant new. So he's just walking there, talking to the Lord. When he comes ac across an ant heap, you know what an ant heap is? They start building it up. These ants. Am I saying it in the right accent? Ants. Ants. So they're building it up. And as he walked up to this, because it was lying there over the winter time, now they're, they're, he walks over to this and he looks up and he, and he realizes this ant heap, ant heap, ant heap, yes? You, you, you all know what I'm talking about. I can draw it for you, but I haven't got a board yet, but you know it. But... He says, as he looked at this, it is in the middle of where they were going to plow. So these poor ants is going to be in trouble of this tractor coming and, and you know, destroying their world. 
And all of a sudden he grabbed him. He wanted to warn these ants to go deeper into the ground, otherwise they're going to die. And he, and he thought, how am I going to do this? I'm a human being. And if, you have, if you've noticed, human beings and ants haven't got the same language. So he tried this. He stood there. He said at the big hole where the ants was going in and out and building their kingdom and building their lives. And no doubt there were a few doctors in there, ant doctors and a few ant philosophers and, you know, all of, maybe an ant prime minister. I don't know. Maybe there was a small ant Donald Trump in there somewhere. I don't know. But he was going on about thinking there's this world and he could see the evident danger coming up towards them. And he thought he was going to shout from them. And he, and he said he stood there and he shouted, Hey! You better go deeper! There's danger coming! How many ants listened to him? None. Because to them it was only lightning and thunder coming from heaven. Yeah. And he thought, maybe if I go flat on my tummy and I lie down at the, at the entrance of this. And he went down on his tummy and he shouted this time even harder. He says, hey, you ants, you need to go deeper. There's danger coming, they're going to kill you. How many listened to him? Only the few that his breath was pushing over and I think, what is this wind going on around us? And he, he thought, how can I warn these ants? And it struck him. He had to become an ant. He had to become like one of them. And then, if he's an ant, he had to grow up amongst them so that he can have a testimony amongst them. So that they could know him. He's ant from Ant Street 2, House 5. He lived there. We know his parents. This is how he had to do that. And to grow up amongst them. But then he realized... That as he grow up amongst them, and he will have enough time, because now the plowers is coming more closer, he will stand up there amongst them and say, Guys, I saw it with mine own eyes. There is danger coming. We're all going to die. Will they listen to him? They'll say, You are a mad ant. This is what he realized. Friends, this is what happened to us. God from heaven can see the danger for us. He shouts to us from heaven. He speaks from heaven. They kill His prophets. He then realized by Himself that He had to send His Son into this world. And by the way, don't read me wrong here. Jesus Christ wasn't an afterthought. Never think about that. Never think that God made everything and then, oh, it was a mistake, now He's got to fix the mistake. Nothing for God is a mistake. But he had to send his own son into this world to live amongst us, to grow up amongst us, to be the son of a carpenter, to go out at the right time, to be baptized by John the Baptist, not because he had sin in his life. No, no, no. Just to show that he was part of us, to grow up, to walk out, to then be, to then with the Holy Spirit when open up, and it says that the Holy Spirit came down like a, like a dove and sit upon him, and a voice from heaven says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then to stand up amongst all of us, and to say to us that we are dead, and we need to have eternal life, and only eternal life comes through Him. He is the door, He is the way. And then they said he's a madman and hang him on a, on, on a tree. 
John says here, I've experienced Him. He's real. I touched Him. I felt Him. He was revealed to us. My question to you is, as He's revealed to you, how are you responding? We see how He responds here. You see, in John chapter 14, verse 8, we read the following, again in the Gospel. Philip came to Jesus. You remember when Jesus appeared to them? Philip, one of His disciples, He said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. And listen to Jesus' words. This is so critical for me in verse 9. He says, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? This is an indictment. Listen to me. Upon the church of Christ today. These words of Jesus Christ is an indictment against the Christians of today who say they know Him, but they do not know Him. They have Him every single Sunday. They have Him every single day in their lives. You've got a Bible in your house, don't you? You don't need me. You don't need me. They believe me. Believe me, I've got weaknesses. So many. You can pull me apart. But you can't pull God apart. You've got Him every single day. Philip says, show us the Father. He says, I've been with you all this time, but yet you do not know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? It's an indictment. The world don't know Him, yet He's still here. The church don't know Him, yet He's still here. You know how I see that. When bad things happen to people, they run. They run for help. The first place they run to is to God. But when He helps them, man, ten was there, and how many turned around and say, thank you, God. It builds. Now, He says this now. Uh, uh, in second part, he says, this life has been experienced. Uh, look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. He says, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. He uses the word manifest there. Manifest comes from the Greek word phanaru. It means to make known what already exists. Why would they use these words? You see, in English, we've only got the word manifest. Manifest can mean a lot of things for us in English. But in Greek, when he wrote that down, he says, it's only to make known what already exists. Now let me take a step back. What it says in 1 John chapter 1 verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. It already existed. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He became flesh. So He said, what already existed is now only manifested and experienced to us. Uh, made known to us. But for that to happen, you had to have a personal encounter with Jesus. You know, people come up and they say, I'm a Christian. And I say, how did you become a Christian? Oh, I don't know. Well, yeah, I just grew up in a Christian family. Mom and dad went to church. And you know what? They said, you know, because we go to church, son and daughter need to go to church. And I just tagged along. And I grew up and grew up and grew up and grew up. And I just, you know, it's part of my habit to go to church. A lot of people are sitting in church today because it's a habit to them. It's a place to come and hang out and be cool. 
This is what a lot of churches do. They do the cool kids now, man. Come and hang out with the youth, man. Hey, come be part of the posse. You know, we're going to be part of Christ's posse. No, that's not how you become a child of God. You experience Christ. You have an encounter with Christ. Have you had an encounter with Him? You say, where is the evidence of that? I give you Paul. He was a man called Saul of Tarsus. He was so full of himself. It was a lot of expected of him. Even his name bear that upon him. Saul, out of the Old Testament, they expected so much of him. He's on the road of Damascus. And then who did he meet there? He met Jesus Christ. He met Jesus. He had an encounter with Jesus. John says, we've encountered him. He made an impact on your lives. And what did God do? What did Jesus do? He changes his name from Saul into Paul. You know what Paul means? It means little one. Wow, look at this now. Saul of Tarsus, much expected of me. I'm so proud and boastful. Look at what I can achieve. Friend, let me tell you something. You, if you want to achieve something in yourself, God can't do anything with you. You are too full of yourself. This man, this same man, he says there in John chapter 3 verse 3 or 3 verse 12, he says, I must decrease and he must increase. He says, this is an experience of Him. He says, the life was manifested to us. It was made actual and physical to us. Let me just explain that manifest to you out of another passage that John writes. In John chapter 17, verse 6, uh, Jesus prays His prayer to the Father. He prays three things in John chapter uh, 17. He prays for Himself, for the disciples, and for us. Did you know that Jesus Christ prayed a prayer for you at Karim Downs? Go and read John 17. Yeah. He had you on his mind when he prayed that prayer. Wow. 2000, what, 2018 we are now. He prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciples in that day. Then he prayed for you and for me. It's wonderful. Think of it when he had you on his mind when he prayed and that John wrote down in John chapter 17. Hey, Janelle, he had you on his mind. How wonderful is that? He was thinking about you, Andre. He was thinking about me, Peter, to you. He knew you were going to sit here today. This is not wishy-wishy stuff. This is the, the real fact of the matter. But then, in the first part, when he writes about himself or prays about himself, he writes this. John writes this down as an, as an eyewitness. In John 17, 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the men who have given me out of the world. You see manifest? He says, John says here that it was manifested to us. There he says, uh, Jesus, this is Jesus' words, I have manifested your name to the men you've given to me. They were yours. They, you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Let me just throw something in here. As a pastor of this church, you do not belong to me. Oh, that's different from what a lot of other pastors are trying to do these days. Me. Hey, no, 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 your boss. I'm not your boss. I nearly spoke Spanish there, did I, brother? <laughs> I just want to make it clear to you. In Jesus' own words, he says it right there, he says, they were yours. Who do you belong to? To God. And all I'm doing here is, I'm a signpost to point it towards Jesus Christ. Listen, 
just one of you in this place, your problems will wear me down. You make your pick, any one of you. If you come to me, and you might have a nice life, and you might not, if you come to me and say, as from today, all my problems becomes your problems. My, you will wear me down because I've got enough of my own to wear me down. So I can't carry you. Oh, some people go, I'm going to look for another church. There's trouble here. <laughs> But let me tell you, friend, you're in the best place ever because I am going to introduce to you Jesus Christ. He says it in Matthew chapter 6. Yeah? He says, cast your burdens unto Him. He cares for you. It's good for you that I can't carry your burdens. I'm going to give you advice. It's only advice. And if it's wrong, you're going to come to me. No, no, no. I take you to Jesus. He says it here. He says, they were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Your word there is again Logos. Now, re re rewind. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. Logos, the word was with God. Logos, and the word was God. Logos, that was Jesus Christ. And here he says, they have kept your word. Now, Logos is also, listen to this now, the written word. Remember? Hang on. See this now. Now they have known all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words. You see it's with a plural? Now it's amazing because in English we've only got one word for word. But in Greek there's two words. He uses the word there, rima. You see that? Rima. So he says here, logos and rima. He says, I've manifested to you in what way? In the written way and also in the Rima way. Now, if this is the written word with your hands, what is Rima then? Rima is what I'm doing now. I'm giving breath to the word. It becomes alive. So, wow, I'm getting so excited. I need to contain myself here. Because think of this. If you look at the word here, and you read the word, it's, it's, it's word, you can throw this Bible in the fire. Some people will go crazy. Oh, you can't burn the Bible. It's only paper and pen. They print so many Bibles these days. Yes? And look, this one is already worn. I, I don't know how many ones of these I have. It's worn. It, it falls apart. Somebody said, let your Bible fall apart and your life is good. That's, that's good. But listen to this. If it sits there, it's, it's the Logos. It's the Word of God. But once you give breath to that, it becomes Rima. Rima means the spoken word. Jesus Christ came to us. He was manifested in the Logos, the written, and in the spoken word. He says it himself. He says it which you have given me, and they've received them. And we have known surely that I come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Are you believing? Do you believe that he was sent? Let me finish off this morning. This life is shared. So first of all, we saw that it was revealed, it was experienced. Now John says to us, it is shared. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Wow, that's a great declaration, isn't it? We declare Him to you. Nothing else. No little flaws or anything about. We declare only one to you, the word of life. That becomes your testimony that you also may have fellowship 
with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The world's looking for joy. John is saying joy comes via who? Jesus Christ, the word of life. Nothing else. Joy comes from Him. And if you found that joy, oh, what a joy it is. Now this is important for us. Yeah? So now that we've saw Him revealed, experienced Him, the first thing we want to do is we want to share Him. What is the reasons for sharing Him? The first reason He puts down there is fellowship. He says to have fellowship. It means we have something in common. In common. Who is that? Who do we have in common? The Word of Life. Jesus Christ. That's why we can come together here in fellowship. Well, how many cars this morning has passed here already? They won't come in here and want a fellowship because they haven't got Jesus. They fellowship around other things, which is important to them. But those things do not have eternal life and no joy. Whoa, wait, wait a minute. I'm part of a club and you tell me I don't have joy and fun at the club. Oh, you have fun. There's a difference between fun and joy, by the way. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Did you know that? You know, I wake up this morning and you come around and you go, Hey, John, man, I, geez, I love you, brother. There's a thousand bucks for you. Just take it. I go, whoa, geez, that makes me happy. Will that make you happy? <laughs> Who's going to be happy if I give you $5,000 right now? <laughs> the ones who didn't put up the hand, they said, No, you put up, up it, 10000 <laughs> I've got a price on it, man. Give me fifty grand, i will be more happier than happy, you know? It's happy, happy, happy. You know, they've even got a song like that. Clap your hands and sing happy. Well, I don't even know who go. But that's happy. You know, you've got five grand in your pocket. Well, and off you go, man. You jump in your car. Well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to get into Bunnings next door. I'm going to buy some pots and plans, five grand. And I'm just going to do this this afternoon. I'm happy. I've got a smile. And as you drive out of, out of your happiness, you've got a little bit of lead on your, on your foot. You've got reason for that. I'm going to put down that hammer now, man. And as you come around the corner, boom, into another car. Oh, it's going to cost you 5000 to fix my car. What happened to your happiness? <laughs> Are you still happy, Glenn? Oh, can I pay you off? 50 cents a month? <laughs> That's happiness for you. And people are chasing happiness. Oh, we've got this great thing happening next Saturday night, man. All the mates are going to be there. It's going to be a happy, happy time. I can't wait for it, man. Every I count the sleepies. Like little Hugos. One sleep before they go to Thailand. He goes, man, I can't wait for it. Then you turn up. What about Sunday? The, the night after? The day after? Oh, that wasn't this. You know, I, I built it up so high. Expectation was there. That's reality and that's disappointment. I was disappointed. Friend, let me tell you something here today. Happiness doesn't... You know, God is... You know, He says there in, in, in Psalms, happy is the man who, who do not sit in the council of the ungodly. But you know what? Joy comes from God. Once you settle your soul with the cross of Christ, He gives you joy unspeakable and full of glory. He says it here, he says that uh, we have this, we declare Christ to you. Why do you declare Him to us? So that we can have fellowship. 
so that we can come together and have joy amongst each other. 1 Peter chapter 2.24 Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. You see, it's the same message. The second reason he says that this brings is to have joy. Joy is his answer to the emptiness and the hollowness of life. And again, you know, the, the world's empty. Young people are empty these days. There's hollowness inside of them. And, you know, maybe some of you go home and you sit there and you, you're all, you go, man, I'm feeling so hollow. I've got good news for you today. Let He fill that place with joy. With joy. Psalm 16. And look, I've got so many scripture I think you saw earlier on, I, I just keep one page of scripture verses. Uh, Psalm 16, 11 says, You will show me the path of life. Who? The word of life will show you the path of life. Not the Sunday newspaper. Not your footy team. Not whatever club you belong to. Who will show you the path to life? He will show you the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In whose presence? In His presence. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So friends, this week, like last week, I want to challenge you again. Well, I want you to think about things this week. First of all, think this week what it means to you that Christ has been revealed. Go away. Go meditate on this. Think this week. If you get a free, free spare time, you know, if you can recall the message, if you want to go online and listen to the message again, listen to the first part. Stop the tape. Sit down there and sit, start talking with God. Say, Father, what does it mean to me that He's been revealed? Does it mean something at all? It's got to mean something for you. If it means nothing, then you're in a, in, in, a, in a troubled state. Then start praying to God and say, Father, reveal it to me. And also, what are you doing uh, to know Him? What are you doing to know Him? Oh, well, I go Sunday to church. You know, Pastor, we're there. You preach for 40 minutes. Is that all? What do you physically do to know Him? Read your Bible and pray. That's, that you will start getting to know Him. And then John experienced Him. What does this mean to you? What does it mean to you when you read about a man who writes down a testimony passionately to you and say, wow, I've seen Him, I touched Him, I heard Him. What does that mean to you when you hear that? Go and think about it this week. When you get a time when you're all alone on your own, write these down and start talking with God. Friends, that's how I do it. That's how I do it. And, and I say, Lord, He experienced you in such a way. Am I experiencing you in that way? How can I experience you in that way? Look, I'm not into funny stuff. I'm not into all of these, these churches who bring the Holy Spirit and make Him cheap and now we're going to go dust and all of these things flowing. No, no. No, no. Be real to Him. Sit down and say, Lord, I read of a man who experienced you physically. Am I experiencing you like that, Lord? Maybe He will expose something in your life which stops Him from revealing Himself to you because the Bible says He will not throw the pearls before the swine. Maybe there's something in your life which you need to get rid of. Listen to me. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit will use your conviction to convict you to get it out of the way so that He can reveal more of Himself to you. You see, the Bible is not dead. And then finally, before we pray, think about your fellowship with other believers. Will you? Think how you fellowship with others. Think about what Jesus would do when we all go around and 
You know these brothers and sisters. I'm not even talking about the world now. I talk about fellowship with one another. You know what? Who would Jesus go and talk to? Who would, who, you know, who would John, if he was here this morning, this John, sit outside, who would he go and talk to? What would he say to that brother and sister? It's not all about you and me. Have you noticed? It's about him. It's about sharing. It's about caring. It's about showing the word of life in our lives. Have we got much to think about? May the Lord bless you. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word.